Chapter Two of The Lost World. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This recording is by Mark Smith of Simpsonville, South Carolina. The Lost World by Arthur Conan Doyle. Chapter Two. Try your luck with Professor Challenger. I always liked McArdle, the crabbed, old, round-backed, red-headed news editor, and I rather hoped that he liked me. Of course, Beaumont was the real boss, but he lived in the rarefied atmosphere of some Olympian height from which he could distinguish nothing smaller than an international crisis or a split in the cabinet. Sometimes we saw him passing in lonely majesty to his inner sanctum, with his eyes staring vaguely and his mind hovering over the Balkans or the Persian Gulf. He was above and beyond us. But McArdle was his first lieutenant, and it was he that we knew. The old man nodded as I entered the room, and he pushed his spectacles far up on his bald forehead. "'Well, Mr. Malone, from all I hear you seem to be doing very well.' said he in his kindly Scotch accent. I thanked him. The colliery explosion was excellent. So was the Southwark fire. You have the true descriptive touch. What did you want to see me about? To ask a favor. He looked alarmed, and his eyes shunned mine. Tut, tut, what is it? Do you think, sir, that you could possibly send me on some mission for the paper? I would do my best to put it through and get you some good copy. What sort of mission had you in mind, Mr. Malone? Well, sir, anything that had adventure and danger in it, I really would do my very best. The more difficult it was, the better it would suit me. You seem very anxious to lose your life. To justify my life, sir. Dear me, Mr. Malone, this is very, very exalted. I'm afraid that the day for this sort of thing is rather past. The expense of the special mission business hardly justifies the result, and, of course, in any case it would only be an experienced man with a name that would command public confidence who would get such an order. The big blank spaces in the map are all being filled in, and there's no room for romance anywhere. Wait a bit, though," he added with a sudden smile upon his face. Talking of the blank spaces of the map gives me an idea. What about exposing a fraud, a modern Munchausen, and making him ridiculous? You could show him up as the liar that he is. Eh, man, it would be fine. How does it appeal to you? Anything, anywhere, I care nothing. McArdle was plunged in thought for some minutes. I wonder whether you could get on friendly, or at least on talking terms with the fellow he said at last. You seem to have a sort of genius for establishing relations with people. Sympathy, I suppose, or animal magnetism, or youthful vitality, or something. I am conscious of it myself. You are very good, sir. So why should you not try your luck with Professor Challenger of Enmore Park? I dare say I looked a little startled. Challenger! I cried. Professor Challenger, the famous zoologist? Wasn't he the man who broke the skull of Blundell, of the telegraph? The news editor smiled grimly. 
"'Do you mind? Didn't you say it was adventures you were after?' "'It is all in the way of business, sir,' I answered. "'Exactly. I don't suppose he can always be so violent as that. I'm thinking that Blundell got him at the wrong moment, maybe, or in the wrong fashion. You may have better luck, or more tact in handling him. There's something in your line there, I'm sure, and the Gazette should work it.' "'I really know nothing about him,' said I. "'I only remember his name in connection with the police court proceedings for striking Blundell. "'I have a few notes for your guidance, Mr. Malone. "'I've had my eye on the professor for some little time.' "'He took a paper from a drawer. "'Here is a summary of his record. "'I give it to you briefly. "'Challenger, George Edward. "'Born. Largs, N.B., 1863. Education, Largs Academy, Edinburgh University. British Museum Assistant, 1892. Assistant Keeper of Comparative Anthropology Department, 1893. Resigned after acrimonious correspondence, same year. Winner of Crayston Medal for Zoological Research. Foreign member of well, quite a lot of things, about two inches of small type. Société Belge, American Academy of Sciences, La Plata, etc., etc. Ex-President, Paleontological Society. Section H, British Association, as so on and so on. Publications, some observations upon a series of Kalmuk skulls. Outlines of Vertebrate Evolution, and numerous papers, including The Underlying Fallacy of Weissmanism, which caused heated discussion at the Zoological Congress of Vienna, Recreations, Walking, Alpine Climbing, Address, Enmore Park, Kensington, W. There, take it with you. I've nothing more for you tonight. I pocketed the slip of paper. One moment, sir. I said, as I realized that it was a pink bald head and not a red face which was fronting me, I am not very clear yet why I am to interview this gentleman. What has he done? The face flashed back again. Went to South America on a solitary expedition two years ago. Came back last year. Had undoubtedly been to South America, but refused to say exactly where. Began to tell his adventures in a vague way. But somebody started to pick holes, and he just shut up like an oyster. Something wonderful happened, or the man's a champion liar, which is the more probable supposition. Had some damaged photographs, said to be fakes. Got so touchy that he assaults anyone who asks questions, and heaves reporters down the stairs. In my opinion, he's just a homicidal megalomaniac with a turn for science. That's your man, Mr. Malone. Now, off you run, and see what you can make of him. You are big enough to look after yourself. Anyway, you are all safe. Employer's Liability Act, you know. A grinning red face turned once more into a pink oval, fringed with gingery fluff. The interview was at an end. I walked across to the Savage Club, but instead of turning into it I leaned upon the railings of Adelphi Terrace and gazed thoughtfully for a long time at the brown, oily river. I can always think most sanely and clearly in the open air. 
I took out the list of Professor Challenger's exploits, and I read it over under the electric lamp. Then I had what I can only regard as an inspiration. As a pressman, I felt sure from what I had been told that I could never hope to get into touch with this cantankerous professor. But these recriminations, twice mentioned in his skeleton biography, could only mean that he was a fanatic in science. Was there not an exposed margin there upon which he might be accessible? I would try. I entered the club. It was just after eleven, and the big room was fairly full, though the rush had not yet set in. I noticed a tall, thin, angular man seated in an armchair by the fire. He turned as I drew my chair up to him. It was the man of all others whom I should have chosen, Tarp Henry, of the staff of nature, a thin, dry, leathery creature who was full, to those who knew him, of kindly humanity. I plunged instantly into my subject. "'What do you know of Professor Challenger?' "'Challenger?' he gathered his brows in scientific disapproval. "'Challenger was the man who came with some cock-and-bull story from South America.' "'What story?' "'Oh, it was rank nonsense about some queer animals he had discovered. I believe he has retracted since. Anyhow, he has suppressed it all.' He gave an interview to Reuters, and there was such a howl that he saw it wouldn't do. It was a discreditable business. There were one or two folk who were inclined to take him seriously, but he soon choked them off. How? Well, by his insufferable rudeness and impossible behavior. There was poor old Wadley, of the Zoological Institute. Wadley sent a message. The President of the Zoological Institute presents his compliments to Professor Challenger, and would take it as a personal favor if he would do them the honor to come to their next meeting. The answer was unprintable. You don't say. Well, a bodlerized version of it would run. Professor Challenger presents his compliments to the President of the Zoological Institute, and would take it as a personal favor if he would go to the devil. "'Good Lord!' "'Yes, I expect that's what old Wadley said. "'I remember his wail at the meeting, which began, "'In fifty years' experience of scientific intercourse, "'it quite broke the old man up. "'Anything more about Challenger?' "'Well, I'm a bacteriologist, you know. "'I live in a nine-hundred-diameter microscope. "'I can hardly claim to take serious notice of anything that I see with my naked eye.' I'm a frontiersman from the extreme edge of the knowable, and I feel quite out of place when I leave my study and come into touch with all you great, rough, hulking creatures. I'm too detached to talk scandal, and yet at scientific conversationis I have heard something of Challenger, for he is one of those men whom nobody can ignore. He's as clever as they make him, a full-charged battery of force and vitality but a quarrelsome, ill-conditioned faddist and unscrupulous at that. He had gone the length of faking some photographs over the South American business. You say he is a faddist. What is his particular fad? He has a thousand, but the latest is something about Weissmann and evolution. He had a fearful row about it in Vienna, I believe. Can't you tell me the point? 
Not at the moment, but a translation of the proceedings exists. We have it filed at the office. Would you care to come? It's just what I want. I have to interview the fellow, and I need some lead up to him. It's really awfully good of you to give me a lift. I'll go with you now, if it's not too late. Half an hour later I was seated in the newspaper office, with a huge tome in front of me, which had been opened at the article, Weissman versus Darwin, with the subheading, Spirited Protest at Vienna, Lively Proceedings. My scientific education having been somewhat neglected, I was unable to follow the whole argument, but it was evident that the English professor had handled his subject in a very aggressive fashion, and had thoroughly annoyed his continental colleagues. Protests, uproar, and general appeal to the chairman were three of the first brackets which caught my eye. Most of the matter might have been written in Chinese for any definite meaning that it conveyed to my brain. I wish you would translate it into English for me, I said pathetically to my helpmate. Well, it is a translation. Then I'd better try my luck with the original. It is certainly rather deep for a layman. If I could only get a single good, meaty sentence which seemed to convey some sort of definite human idea, it would serve my turn. Ah, yes, this one will do. I seem in a vague way almost to understand it. I'll copy it out. This shall be my link with the terrible professor. Nothing else I can do? Well, yes, I propose to write to him. If I could frame the letter here and use your address, it would give atmosphere. We'll have the fellow round here making a row and breaking the furniture. No, no, you'll see the letter. Nothing contentious, I assure you. Well, there's my chair and desk. You'll find paper there. I'd like to censor it before it goes. It took some doing, but I flatter myself that it wasn't such a bad job when it was finished. I read it aloud to the critical bacteriologist with some pride in my handiwork. "'Dear Professor Challenger,' it said, "'as a humble student of nature I have always taken the most profound interest in your speculations as to the differences between Darwin and Weissman. I have recently had occasion to refresh my memory by re-reading, "'You infernal liar!' murmured Tarp Henry. By re-reading your masterly address at Vienna, that lucid and admirable statement seems to be the last word in the matter. There is one sentence in it, however, namely, I protest strongly against the insufferable and entirely dogmatic assertion that each separate id is a microcosm possessed of an historical architecture elaborated slowly through the series of generations. Have you no desire, in view of later research, to modify this statement? Do you not think that it is over-accentuated? With your permission, I would ask the favor of an interview, as I feel strongly upon the subject, and have certain suggestions which I could only elaborate in a personal conversation. With your consent, I trust to have the honor of calling at eleven o'clock the day after tomorrow, Wednesday, morning. I remain, sir, with assurances of profound respect, yours very truly, Edward D. Malone. How's that? I asked triumphantly. Well, if your conscience can stand it, it has never failed me yet. But what do you mean to do? 
To get there, once I am in his room I may see some opening. I may even go the length of open confession. If he is a sportsman he will be tickled. Tickled, indeed. He's much more likely to do the tickling. Chain mail or an American football suit, that's what you'll want. Well, good-bye. I'll have the answer for you here on Wednesday morning, if he ever deigns to answer you. He is a violent, dangerous, cantankerous character, hated by everyone who comes across him, and the butt of the students, so far as they dare to take a liberty with him. Perhaps it would be best for you if you never heard from the fellow at all. End of chapter